Resolve. To decide firmly on a course of action. What kind of resolve do you have to follow Christ? Is it lifelong or convenient? Passionate or dry? Casual or consistent? As we embark on a new year, let's look at our lives in the light of Scripture. Let's get back to the basics to live sold out for Jesus. Let's strive to live by the Spirit. Well, we want to welcome First Norfolk on Volvo to worship today. Let's welcome them and uh, so excited to have them and First Norfolk on Kempsville uh, as we worship God today. Uh, living by the Spirit, as we uh, kind of unpack that, the whole concept of living by the Spirit can be a little mysterious. It can be uh, something of a confusion if if you're not yet a follower of Jesus or perhaps you're a brand new follower of Jesus, this whole idea of walking the Spirit or living by the Spirit, who is the Spirit, what is that all about? And it can become challenging for us. So uh, today I want us to uh, just take a moment and consider what does it mean to live by the Spirit and how does Jesus set the example for us and, and then how can we follow his example. All right, so as we begin to unpack that a little bit, um, just, just think of it this way, as, as, uh, uh, as our different navies began to develop and uh, uh, from the fighting war machines and the oceans that, that uh, used to be rowing the boats with the Vikings and uh, e- Egyptians, uh, it eventually became sailing ships, and you had these uh, wonderful... Uh, monstrous sh- sailing ships that really made the British Navy the, 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 uh, the queen of the world and the king of the world at the time. Uh, these these um, just humongous ships that were powered not by uh, rowing uh, the boat, not by some uh, uh, engine that would come later. They were powered uh, by wind catching a sail. And in order to move those great ships uh, from point A to point B, uh, they would stretch out uh, these sails on masts and, and all those other jibs and harnesses and all those things that are out there. I don't know if that's even right, but all those things that are on that ship, they would, they would uh, stretch out all the cloth that they could to catch as much of the wind as they possibly could to power them forward. Now, that's As a follower of Jesus, that's what it is to live by the Spirit. It's being empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God becomes the wind that fills the sail of our soul um, and fills us with satisfaction and nourishes our soul with the presence of God, empowers us, enables us to please God in our everyday life. Now, Now, that's only one part of it, though. See, living by the Spirit isn't just the Spirit of God catching the wind uh, of our sails and, and, and empowering us. There's another aspect for a ship to get from point A to point B. It wasn't just wind filling a sail, but it was also rudder uh, going, uh, taking the ship in the right direction. It takes a rudder to move the ship in the right direction. And, and, and not only that, but the one who controls the rudder controls the direction of the ship. And, and if it's a novice, if it's someone who doesn't know how to shoot the stars or navigate or plot a line and, and then follow it, then that ship can be 
going around and around and around in circles, uh, fueling despair, or it can go and crash upon a reef or upon rocks, uh, fueling death and disaster. That, that's what happens when you have a novice at the rudder. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is not a novice. The Holy Spirit is the captain. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what the mind and the heart of God is. And so the Spirit is the rudder that directs us from point A to point B. Now, what is point B? Well, point A is right here. Point B, at the end of the day, what is the goal? And the goal is God's pleasure. As we saw already, Jesus gave himself for God's pleasure. Everything in his life was for God's pleasure, and that is the, the, the thing that we're after as well. Now, so often we hear and believe, or maybe we misunderstand the way God has ordered life. And God has ordered life in this way. I am most satisfied when I am pleasing God. That's when I am most satisfied. I am most satisfied, not when I get my way, not when I get what I want, but rather when I pursue and fulfill what God wants. And, and by the way, every person is created with that, that desire. Because we're made in the image and the likeness of God in Genesis 1, 26, 27, we were made in, in the image of God. We were made, created with a capacity and a yearning within us to please God. That's what satisfies us completely. Our problem is, is that, that there's a battle that rages. We have this battle with pleasing ourselves. If you remember, I've said it the last couple of weeks, but the greatest enemy of o obedience to God is what I want. And, and this is the struggle that we face. We, we, we know as followers of Jesus, we know that we should please God. We, we know that that is who we are. We want to please God. And we are most satisfied when we are pleasing God. We are most dissatisfied when we're not pleasing God. Okay? Uh, we know that. But there's still a struggle. There's still a desire to satisfy self. There's still a struggle to please self. We, we see it in the church. Hey, get this, and, and the only reason I do this is because it's church and it's easy. If you're here today and you think that you are most satisfied in church when you get what you want, then you've bought into a lie that is not part of the Christian walk. And it's certainly not walking in the Spirit. Let me repeat it because sometimes phrases like sentences get lost. But let, let me go ahead and bring it back down and let's, let's embrace this again. If you believe that you are most satisfied with church when you get what you want, then you've bought into a lie and literally you are pursuing the desires of the flesh, not walking in the spirit. What you want, what I want, is not really what matters in this place. It's not what matters in the family of faith. What you want, what I want, I mean, it's a nice little conversation piece every now and then, but, but what, what, what God wants, now that, that gets to the heart of what satisfies. You and I are most satisfied with church when we are pursuing what God wants. Now, 
please hear this because sometimes I get confused and sometimes you get confused. What I want is not always what God wants. We get confused by that, right? I mean, we almost automatically assume, well, what I want, that must be what God wants. I mean, don't you know that this is what I want? And if I want it, then it must be what God wants. Well, it doesn't work like that. So we need to, we need to pursue what God wants. And that's what satisfies us completely. Now, the Spirit of God leads us toward what God wants. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24, 25, and 26. Uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, the, the God himself is speaking to his people, and he's, and he's promising them something that would take place. He says, he says now there will be a day when I sprinkle you with clean water, and I'm going to wipe away all your filthiness created by your sin and disobedience, and I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. He goes on, and he says, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to pour my spirit in you so that you will walk in my statutes and do my commandments. See, what the Spirit of God does is he fills the sail of our soul with the presence of God, nourishes us with intimate presence of God so that we can pursue God's pleasure, so that we can do what God wants. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, make no mistake, that's who you are. That's your DNA. The Spirit of God took up residence with you in that moment that you embraced Christ as Savior and King. The moment that, that your life was changed. John chapter 3, Jesus said that in order to be in the family of God, you have to be born again and born from above. And that's not the work that you do. It's not the work that I do. It's the work that the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God makes us brand new when by faith we trust Jesus as our only hope for forgiveness of sin through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We've been transformed. We've been changed. we become new creatures in Christ. And this is the work of the Spirit of God. He makes us brand new. And he takes up residence in our life. So that you and I are the temple of the Spirit of God. That's who we are as followers of Christ. Now what the Spirit of God does in us is he leads us. He fills the cell of our soul and he directs. He steers the rudder of our lives toward God's pleasure. That's what he does. But the problem is that we like to kick the spirit off the wheel and we start steering our own course. And like a novice on a real ship, we steer the course of our life around in circles leading to frustration and despair or into rocks and reef of ruin leading to disaster. That, that is what happens when we don't walk according to the Spirit. So what I want us to do today is I want us to just to take a glimpse at the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, and as we look at the life of Jesus, let's discover a little bit more about what it means for us to live by the Spirit, and not only that, but why? What is the result of us living by the Spirit? All right, so Luke chapter 4, let's look at verses 14 through uh, 21 or 22. It says, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. All right, so, so in Luke chapter 1, Jesus as an infant is uh, uh, filled with the Spirit. In Luke chapter uh, 3, we see the Spirit of God descending from heaven in bodily form like a dove and, and falling upon Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we see that Jesus is full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, do you get the theme? 
This is important stuff. The Spirit of God leading Jesus, filling Jesus, directing Jesus, anointing Jesus, okay? If it's important for Jesus, hey, it's pretty important for us. This is not some side, uh, sideline gig that we need to hold on to. This is essential for us as followers of Christ, all right? So, uh, verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and Jesus taught in their synagogues, being glorified or honored or praised by all the people. Verse 16, so Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Jesus came to Nazareth, his hometown. And, uh, and, he, and, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is what he said, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right, so, so as an infant, Jesus is, is uh, anointed with the Spirit. In, in uh, Luke chapter 3, Jesus is anointed with the Spirit. In, in Luke chapter 4, he's full of the Spirit and he's led in the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, he returns uh, to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And now he declares, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Again, pretty important stuff, wouldn't you say? All right, so the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and this is what he said. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he closed the book, uh, and, and uh, so all, verse 22, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, man, isn't this Joseph's son? Let's stop right there, and let's just unpack this a little bit. Jesus uh, lived in the power of the Spirit. That's, that, that's what drove him in life and ministry. The Spirit of God filled the sails of his soul, and the Spirit of God had his hand on the rudder, steering the direction of Christ's life, and Jesus never kicked the Spirit of God off the steering wheel. He, he was always surrendered and submitted to the direction of the Spirit of God. Uh, Jesus was empowered by the Spirit of God and directed by the Spirit of God. And in the same way, you and I are supposed to be living empowered and directed by the Spirit of God. We enjoy it when the Spirit of God uh, fills our sails, right? I mean, I like that, don't you? It, it, the Spirit of God fills my sails, and he, he's nourishing my heart and nourishing my life, and he's encouraging me, and he's strengthening me, and I love that. He's bringing me close to, to God himself, and I, I experience emotionally the, that physical closeness, that, that familial closeness with my Father. I love that, don't you? But the living in the Spirit isn't just about goosebumps and good vibes. Living in the Spirit means that we not only have the sails of our soul filled with the presence and the power of God, but it also means that we walk according to the will of God. Right, quickly, let me just kind of run down a little bit. See, Jesus didn't have to be taught how to walk or live by the Spirit. He already had that down. And he lived it. But maybe, maybe you and I are here as followers of Jesus. Maybe no one's ever really took some time to help you see 
how to live by the Spirit. I mean, Galatians 5 is not... Uh, is, is easy reading, but sometimes the application gets a little bit hard for us. But Galatians 5, where Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, we're not going to take control of the steering of our life. We're going we're to live our life and live our every day for God's pleasure. That's what's going to happen if we live by the Spirit. He, he, later on, he tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. In Galatians 5, and 23, he says, Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against these there is no law. He says, hey, listen, this is what living in the Spirit is going to produce in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, meekness somewhere, gentleness, meekness somewhere in there, and and self-control against such there is no law. He he says, this is what your life is going to look like. But, But then he says, if we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. He says, it's not enough to say, hey, I've got the Spirit of God residing in me. We've got to actually yield ourselves to the Spirit. So how do we do it? How do you wake up in the morning and determine, I'm going to live by the Spirit today? And, and, and just quickly, if I could just give you a quick summary in, of, of, of uh, four or five steps that might help you live by the Spirit. And when I say live by the Spirit, that's where you, uh, you experience the Spirit of God filling the sail of your life with His power and presence, but also you've yielded the steering of your life to the Spirit's control. All right, so how do you live by the Spirit in that way? Well, first of all, you've got to admit that you need the Spirit. You need the Spirit's direction. You need the Spirit's guidance. See, um, part of what our problem is, perhaps, is that we spend a lot of our time thinking we can do it on our own. We have uh, uh, do-it-yourself videos all over the place. You want to change your brakes? Go ahead and do it yourself. I wouldn't recommend you let me change your brakes. I'm just saying that would not be a good idea. But there are some guys on staff who could do it. And if you want their number, I'll give it to you later. Um, They do it pro bono. They're happy to do it just out of ministry and service to the Lord. That's good. Uh, anyway, so, so here we are. We, we, want to, uh, we, we want to live by the Spirit, but, but, but how do we do it? We've got to admit that we can't do it ourselves. Now, again, John chapter 15, Jesus is talking. He's saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you've got to abide in me. You've got to stay connected to me. He, goes, he says in John 15, verse 5, I think he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, he, he was saying literally you can do nothing, but he meant you can't do anything for God's pleasure. There are lots we can do apart from Jesus, primarily sin. Now, we sin all day and all night apart from Jesus, but, but that's, that, that's not where we want to go. That's not how we want to live. That's not walking in the Spirit. See, live by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, we need to admit that apart from the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us and directing us, we can't do this. It's the Spirit of God who enables us to walk toward God's pleasure every day. We need the Spirit of God to take control of our lives. You've got to admit your need. You wake up in the morning, you say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need the Spirit of God to enable me. Admit your need. The second thing is pray. You pray for the Spirit of God to steer the course of your life, steer the course of your emotions, steer the course of your uh, affections, steer the course of of your relationships, steer the course of of, of you navigating through all of those things. You're you're praying for the Spirit of God to steer the course. It's 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 that, that picture that 
that, that we need to have every morning. And, and we wake up, we need the Spirit of God to lead us in such a way so that we put on the fruit of the Spirit. So that He steers the course of our lives so that love really is on display in every aspect of our lives. So that uh, the words we say and the, and, the, and, the, and the life we live is a reflection of God's grace. Now, the only way we're going to get there is if we ask the Spirit of God to do that. So we, we admit that we need the Spirit, and then we pray, Oh, Spirit of God, do it. And the third thing is you've got to believe it. You've got to believe that the Spirit of God can and will direct you toward God's pleasure. And that pleasure is what's going to satisfy your soul. You, you've got to believe that, that the promise that God made in Ezekiel 36, I'm going to put within you my spirit and he will enable you to do what God says. What, what God says. We, we've got to believe that, that. That yes, he's poured his spirit within us. And, and so as one who is indwelt and filled by the spirit, I can, I can do what God wants. The, the, the New Testament side of Ezekiel chapter 6 is, is, is Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6. The believe that the Spirit of God will lead me to please God. Uh, Romans chapter 6, the, 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 the Apostle Paul says, Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Says in verse 14, for sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you are no longer under the law, but under the grace. Now, what is he talking about there? He's saying, hey, listen, you need to wake up in the morning. You need to believe that the Spirit of God has the power you need to kill that sinful desire, that disobedient desire, that selfish desire, and to awaken in you the righteousness of Christ so that you pursue God's pleasure with all that you are. You've got to believe that the Spirit of God is ready to count your sin as dead and count you as alive to God in Christ Jesus, okay? So we admit that we need help we, uh, from the Spirit. We, uh, uh, we pray for the Spirit of God to steer the course of our life. We, we uh, believe that the Spirit of God will steer the course of our life toward God's pleasure, and that will satisfy us completely. We reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then, the last step, uh, we, we begin to walk. Walk in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul goes on, verse 26, I think, he says, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. It seems kind of repetitive there, but what he's saying is, you say and, and we believe that as a follower of Jesus, we need the Spirit of God. We live by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who has born us again and brought us into the family of God so that we have immediate intimacy with God, Ephesians 2.18, and, 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 and yet... And so often, we don't let the Spirit of God steer the direction of our life. He says, if you're going to live by the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. So walk. The last step in, in living by the Spirit is walking in the Spirit, enacting the, the Spirit's direction in your life. It's, it's pushing down, making a conscious decision to push down the selfish desires and to Lift up God's desires. Now, Paul uses different language, but there are two particular passages where he has um, this walk in the spirit kind of idea uh, that, that runs behind what he says. 
If I'm going to walk in the Spirit, then I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to say Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I need that kind of commitment to wake me up in the morning. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't live anymore, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's, that's living in the spirit language that we need to adopt. Another passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. You've heard me quote this one several times. You can tell I need the work. It, you hear me quote it. Y'all didn't get that. If you hear me quote a passage many times over, it's because I need the work in my own life. I'm working it. I'm working it. All right? So, so another passage that speaks of this walking in the spirit kind of language is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, where the apostle Paul writes, For we judge thusly that if one died for all, then all have died, and he, being Jesus, died for all, so that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's walk in the spirit kind of language. That, that we live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's, that's walking in the Spirit. That's living by the Spirit. So if we're going to wake up in the morning with the Spirit of God, filling the sail of our soul with the nourishment of God's presence, and steering the course of our life toward God's pleasure, as Jesus did, then we need to admit our need for the Spirit of God's direction. We need to pray for the Spirit of God to steer, and we need to believe that the Spirit of God will lead us toward God's pleasure, and then we need to begin to walk in the Spirit. So as we commit ourselves to do that, where does that end up? Well, Jesus teaches us the result and the goal. The result of living in the Spirit is that we would, for God's pleasure, we would... Share the good news of God's rescuing love with others. The Spirit of God fuels our lives so that we might share the good news of God's rescuing love with others. I, gotta, I, I know that you, you think, well, there he goes again talking about the gospel and sharing the gospel with other people. And, and I know that some of you have been with me for, and I've been with you for 15 years. You've heard this over and over and over again. But, but guys, i got to tell you, the reason the Spirit of God perhaps reached you is so that you through him so that he might through you reach someone else. Do you realize that the Spirit of God was given to us not so that we could hoard it and hold it to ourselves, not for our goosebumps and good vibes, personally satisfying our own inclinations. That's that's going back to it's all about me kind of concept. The Spirit of God was planted in our hearts so that we fulfill the purposes of God. Jesus was fulfilling God's purposes. And, and as he stands up in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he begins to preach. And as he begins to preach, he's reading Isaiah 61, which was the promise of God uh, for deliverance and rescue for the people of God. Isaiah 61 read there in that context. Uh, Jesus then says, hey, listen, I, I know that God promised to bring wholeness to the brokenhearted, help for the afflicted, freedom for, the, for those who are held captive. I know that, that, that God promised that, but guess what? This scripture is fulfilled right now in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news 
He has, he, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty for the captives and the opening of sight for those who are blind, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh my goodness, Jesus took ownership for God's promise that God was going to bring rescue to those who are caught in the grit and the grime of life, those who are, who are overwhelmed and shattered by the, by the shame and the pain of their sin or their circumstance. Jesus has come to bring freedom and forgiveness to those who are lost and empty and incomplete. Jesus is God's rescuer. Come to earth. Here he is. And Jesus came to proclaim that. And from Luke chapter 4, verse 16, all the way to Luke chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus proclaimed that he was uh, coming to deliver good news, that those who are separated from God by their sin can be rescued by God's great love and his rescuer. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, all the way to the end of the gospel with, je- with, with the death and resurrection of Jesus Jesus was not only proclaiming the good news, Jesus became the good news. And Jesus came to rescue sinners like you and me, and isn't that great? Now, what I want you to see here is the connection between the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me and Jesus coming in the power of the Spirit, not so that Jesus could be fueled for his own personal selfish desires, but so that he might proclaim, so that he might deliver Good news to those who are empty and lost and incomplete. Today, friends, please know that the Spirit of God resides within you and He fills the wind. He fills the sail of your soul with the wind of His Spirit and He comes and He satisfies you and He nourishes you and He encourages you so that He might steer the course of your life toward God's pleasure by sharing good news with those who are far from God. I know so many people believe that sharing the gospel is the work of professionals. It's just not true. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is the work of every person here who is a follower of Jesus. All of us have been called into this mission. The Spirit of God resides within you to enable you, to equip you, to speak through you, to, 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 to inspire you, to correct you, to, 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 uh, 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 to embolden you so that you can share Jesus with someone who is dying and needs to be rescued. The Spirit of God resides within you not merely so that you can get smarter in the things of God, but so that you can become more obedient, pursuing God's pleasure. And friends, make no mistake, what brings God pleasure is the salvation, the rescue of someone who is headed for hell. Jesus said it this way, just before he's crucified, he, he, he gets alone by himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he begins to pray. And in John chapter 17, Jesus, he, Jesus said, Father, The hour has come. Glorify your son that your son might glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh so that he might give give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I finished the work that you've given me to do. I've glorified you on the earth. Jesus said that he came to give God glory, to pursue God's pleasure. And how did he do that? By delivering the good news of God's rescuing love, eternal life to those who are far from God. 
mean, you and I are called to be witnesses for Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, as he's ascending to the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus says, he says, for you, talking about us, for you will receive power. That's wind in the sails. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses for me. That's the steering. The Spirit of God steering us as witnesses for Jesus. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Spirit fuels our lives to share the good news of God's rescuing love with others. Why haven't we shared that good news with someone else? The Spirit of God wakes you up and he points you in the direction of someone who is far from God. And you see that person you know in your heart of hearts. I need to talk to them about Jesus. I need to begin that conversation. They need to know the love and the grace and the power and the peace. They need to know the hope and the freedom from shame and the overwhelming sense of belonging that that God provides through Jesus. They need to know that. They need to feel that. They need to experience that. And the Spirit of God wakes you up and he fills the sails of your soul with the power and the inspiration to talk to that person. You start going over there and the Spirit of God is steering your course toward that person and you're almost there and you're almost there and you're standing in front of them and you're ready to speak and then you kick the Spirit of God off the wheel. You say, I'm not talking about that. Why do we do that? And I, I understand it's fear, and I understand it's you know, scared they're going to say ugly things about us and all that. But, but guys, remember, our deepest satisfaction comes not from what our coworkers say about us, not from what our neighbors think about us. Our deepest satisfaction comes from bringing God pleasure. And we bring God pleasure when we tell somebody else the good news of God's rescuing love through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Edie and I went on a little trip this week and I had a meeting in Atlanta and uh, on our way back we traveled a little bit. We found ourselves yesterday in Morganton, North Carolina and we're at the subway uh, getting a subway sandwich and I get a six inch spicy Italian uh, on wheat, uh, toasted with provolone cheese and just black olives and spicy mustard. In case you were ever wondering. (laughs) That's my sandwich. I got my sandwich plus uh, three chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) And I'm standing there at the counter. I hear this gentleman going over to the to the uh, sandwich maker, and he leans over the sneeze guard, and he says, uh, can I ask you a question? Now, this guy was, I mean, he, 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 he had a hat that said wingman on it, which makes me a little nervous, but, but he, he just, fun, you know, just kind of a fun-loving looking kind of guy. He said hi to us as we walked in, and he walked over, he asked the sandwich maker, can I ask you a question? She said, sure, and he said, do you know my Jesus? And he went on, he said, do you believe in my Jesus? Jesus is the one who died for your sins. Jesus is the one who was raised from the dead. Jesus can change your life. His name's Joe Green. He became my new hero. I love him to death. But just the simplicity and yet the power of a guy being obedient to God in that moment to share the gospel. God's put it 
on your heart and will put it on your heart to share the spirit-fueled, life-changing truth. The good news of his rescuing love with someone this week. My question is, will you be able to write your name on the wall out in the lobby? The name of that person that you shared with this week. It, we're not asking for them to have accepted Christ or their life to be changed, but someone that you shared with this week. Will you be able to write that person's name on the wall in the lobby? Just going up to somebody across the room, across the office, across the cafeteria, across the street. Has someone asked you or talked to you about Jesus lately? What do you think about Jesus? Do you think Jesus can make a difference in our world today? Can I tell you what a difference Jesus has made in my life? Can I share with you how I think he can make a difference in yours? I know you might think, I don't know all the words to say. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Please understand that the Spirit of God is fueling and filling the sails of your soul. He's given you direction. He's given you enabling power. Go share and bring God pleasure. My prayer for us is that we would live by the Spirit and that we would share the good news of God's rescuing love with someone this week. Would you bow your heads with me, please?